before you are seated, uh, we are in a series called uh, The Gospel, Gospel 316. And we're looking at one of the most iconic uh, verses in all of Scripture, the one where all, most of us, well, I mean, the entire world is probably very familiar and has heard this verse. We talk about the gospel and spreading the gospel and being the gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ, but what exactly is the gospel? I think the reason we're doing this series right now is because I think the gospel within the church is being misunderstood. Like, we in the church don't really even understand what the gospel is anymore. And so we're going to take a few weeks, and uh, we started last week, Pastor Daniel, and continue through next week just talking about what is the gospel. So John 3.16 is a verse we're all familiar with, and this is in the New International Version, which is a, probably the most, uh, the one you know it best. Uh, some of you know King James, you know that version of it, but we all have a slightly different version of it, but this is probably the one where we all kind of get on the same page, and this is the one you are familiar with. Can we just say this verse together? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is a, a crazy few weeks for us because we are taking that one verse and preaching it three times. One verse and finding three amazing truths in it. Today, we're going to talk about how the gospel begins with two letters, G-O, go. Go, it's the gospel. So let, let, let's pray together. Laura, will you pray for us? God, we just thank you for this time that we have. We just pray, God, you open our hearts, open our minds. God, we just believe you. And where we are having troubles believing all of you, that you would just open our minds, open our hearts to receive. We just thank you for your word. And we just say your words are true. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you may be seated. Well, today we're going to share a little bit about uh, our experience in Ethiopia and, and this idea of the gospel. Uh, I think we all want our life to count. Like, we want our life. You want, you want to know that your life matters, like that you're not just spinning your wheels and that by the time you are done on this earth that you say, I, I'm, I made an impact. When we were in Ethiopia and I stood up at that pastor's conference and we were training them, the very first thing I talked to them about was this idea that when we were in Ethiopia, the overwhelming needs. Yeah. Was, when you look out at so many needs, uh, it's so hard because on the way back to the air, airport last year, I, I just cried. I, I, words couldn't even say what I was thinking uh, in my heart. And the overwhelming thought is, where would we even start? You know, how would, how would we even make a difference? And so when I was talking to these pastors and leaders, uh, I could tell they felt the same way that they looked at the overwhelming needs in, the, in just the city of Addis Ababa, which is the capital city, four million people. And it, it's like, it, what I told them was, just imagine it's this vast ocean. So when we even look at our city, and you look at uh, just Oklahoma and, and the Tulsa metro area, it's like this vast ocean of needs. And, and I want you to imagine, like, you have, your life is just like a pebble, okay? Like, everybody's just kind of like you're holding a pebble, just however you want to do that right now, just like you're holding a pebble, like, that's your life. 
And you, and you just think like, okay, so this is, this is my life, this is my contribution, and, and imagine if you're just going to toss that into the ocean. Like, how is that even going to make any impact at all? But the truth is, is all of us know that when you throw a rock into the water, it has this ripple effect. And I told these leaders, and I think this is true for us in our lives here when we try to impact this city and when we try to impact the world, is to remember to live for the ripple effect. Yes, yes. That what seems so insignificant, that your life may seem insignificant, your contribution may seem insignificant, but, but by allowing God to use you, there will be a ripple that effect from what you do out into the city, out into the state, out into the world. And not only that, but it will go from generation to generation to generation. And then, and then I was talking to him about this idea that if, what, if, what if we all, imagine if all of us in this yeah. room decided, what if we all tossed our rock at the same time? Imagine the impact that we could have. Well, and I love that thought because the difference is it's just not me throwing it. It's me putting it in God's hands and then me throwing it. And God is the one that makes that ripple effect. So this is the essence of John 3.16. Now, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation because it gives us a little bit different bent on it, and you're going to hear it in a little bit different way. But it says this in the first part of John 3.16. Jesus says this, for this is how God loved what? The world. world. This is how God loved the world. So often we can get caught, caught up, up in us. Yeah, in our own world. It, in me, you know. I mean, I, I'm thinking that I'm not the only one that does that. It's about me. It's about my prayers. It's about my needs, about my job, my home. When we were in Ethiopia, we sang, Jesus loves me. And that's true. And right. we do. We just think, and what happens is our prayer life and everything just starts revolving around, well, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And he does. But what can happen is we can get so focused on ourselves and our own world that we forget about the billions that God also loves in this world. And if we're going to impact the world, we have to take the focus off of ourselves. Well, and this is where... Um I really think that we have to think about people and how do people make a difference. And one of the biggest um, impacts that I've had this time is the impact that Jody Guy has made. And when I was there last time, I was impacted, but this time was different because what I kept seeing over and over was the boys and what she's done with these boys because we've seen so many different uh, people there and uh, in such a short amount of time. Yeah, but and, what and happened for those, tell, was... For those who don't know, if, yeah. you're, if you're brand new and you're like, who's Jody Guy, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, so seven years ago, um, eight years ago, Jody and Todd Guy went over to Addis to adopt two of their sons. And when, if any of you know anything about adoption, you have to go a couple of times. And when they would go to the hotel and they would come out, there were boys and they were shoe shining. Uh, They wanted to shine shoes. And that was how they ate. Um, So they carried this bucket around and this sponge around and a rag. And that's how they make their money to eat. And what, what 
what has happened is these mothers and dads, they send them into the city from the villages because there's no food. There is no food. And so they send them into work, and they basically say, good luck. And um, the boys go in, and at 7, 8, 9, they have to provide for themselves. So Jody was seeing these boys and kept seeing the same boys. And she could tell it much more eloquently than I can, but when she left, her heart was broken. And I've heard her tell that story that when she left, she could not forget what she had saw. And that's where uh, Todd and Jody birthed I Am Not Forgotten, um, the home for boys and uh, taking boys off the street that are literally not eating. They're, they're physically and unhealthy. Um, there's things that are wrong with them. And they have no family. They have no hope of an education. Um, so what she did, her and Todd worked with other people to get money over there to start a home where things could start to be reversed in their life. What I love about this is this is an example of just somebody just like you and me. Here in Oklahoma, an Oklahoma mama, that's what I call her. That, <laughs> that realized, oh, God, God loves the world. Yeah. And the world is not made up just of me. Not just me. I mean, she has children. She has children of her own. She has many children. She doesn't need any more kids to take care of. But Jody and Todd's heart for the world, like she steps out of her hotel room and God's got her heart and God says, there's the world right there. Yeah. And we were on that And street. this time was so special. And thank you, Jody, uh, because we were walking one day and we were on a street and Jody said, hang on. This is right where the boys were. And the boys were with us at the time that day. This is where I saw them. This is where it happened. And I was like, oh. She's like, this is where I kept seeing them. I kept seeing them. And then later that night, we were at the boys' home. And you know how when you're at grandma's house or, or auntie's house or mom's house, and she brings out those old pictures of you when you were, like, second grade and you have no teeth. And, you know, it doesn't look like you anymore, but it's just cute. And she's like, oh, this is when you were. So Jody gets pictures out. And she begins to show us pictures of the boys when she first met them. And they first came into the home. And then aside, beside that, some of them had the picture that were pretty recent. It's not even look like looking at the same child. And it was so special. And those boys just, just soaked it up that we were looking at them and ooing and awing over them because they're in desperate need of a of a mother and father's love. It was, was amazing, too, is these are boys that didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the hope of Jesus. And she tangibly showed them the hope of Jesus. And so we were in the home with them one night, eating with them. And uh, then I got an opportunity to teach them, which was really fun. I taught them some principles that I taught my boys growing up. And then I taught these yeah, boys. that was which, so special. This was really, really cool. Uh, and then a spontaneous worship service broke out. Yeah, they, they uh, decided they wanted to worship with us, and they wanted to teach and us. And these guys so can sweet. sing, and they oh. can dance. And look, <laughs> This is a quick, quick clip of it, but yeah. check out these boys singing and dancing for Jesus. <laughs> Now, that is a song from their village. And unlike you all, 
They can go and go and go and go and stand and go and stand and dance and stand and dance and then stand and dance and stand. I mean, these Oklahoma mamas and daddies yeah. have to take breaths. We were like, oh, okay. We were in uh, some serious worship experiences, I'm telling you. But it, the, the, remember, Jesus said this in, in John 3 16 For this is how God loved the world. He gave. Yeah. Come on, say that with me. He what? He, he gave. Yeah. He gave his one and only son. Like, in other words, what God is, is calling us to do is simply love the world the way he loved the world, yeah. to, to give our lives, to, to live our lives sent. In fact, this is what Jesus said. John, Jesus said this in John 17, 18. He said, just as you what? Sent me into the world, I am what? Sending them into what? The world. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're the vessels. So you and I, Jesus is now in heaven, and it's now us. We are the vessels that he is sending into the world. Yeah, we represent him as we go and we help. We're representing him. I love that thought. And what's crazy is we, this is the thing we have to understand. We, we live in the most blessed place on planet Earth. Yeah. Can I get an amen? And if you don't feel that way... Uh, go with us on the next trip <laughs> because every part of your modern conveniences will be challenged. We all know and have seen the pictures of the devastation that is there, and we're, we'll talk a little bit about that. But I'm just talking about the things you and I take for granted. Just conveniences. Conveniences we have every single day like electricity Normal. staying on. Yeah, yeah. Electricity staying on. Now, what's interesting, though, is we were there for a couple hours, and the electricity's off, and nobody acts like it's any big deal, because it happens all the time there. On purpose. Yes. The government shuts the power off. They do it to control the people, and so they shut it off. They shut the internet down, like yep. they were having the African Union while we were there. And you know what they did to control everything? Yep. Shut the internet down. They, we, the conveniences and the things that we enjoy uh, here is just crazy, like, like toilet paper. Yes. <laughs> well, should we describe to them how you go to the bathroom? That sounds weird. Well, I'm not going there. I mean, <laughs> no, they have. They, the they things use, that you use. Yeah, you use a, they don't use toilet paper. They use a hose. You know the, what is the, the hose on your sink, the one you pull out, the spray, the spray hose? Yeah. That's next to every <laughs> toilet there. That's what you use. I kind of, I kind of like toilet paper. I, you know, I just, I do. And I, even I'm finding a bathroom, it. although there, yeah. can I teach you another Amharic word? The word no. for bathroom? Here's the bathroom. Because you're going to say it wrong. No, I won't say it wrong. No, I won't say it wrong because this will end up on a podcast, so. Shintibit. You can laugh. Shintibit. That is the word for bathroom in Amharic. I had so much fun with that this week. Yes. Everywhere I went, I just purposely said it wrong. I was like, I'm a pastor, but I'm 7,000 miles away from home. I'm saying this wrong. And it was great. I would say it wrong, and they'd go, oh, right over there. They didn't even know I was... Except for Jody and Laura and yeah, Sybil Hawkinson, uh-huh. who were really getting on to me. Yes, for, yes. For say, saying it wrong. Or maybe it's um, trying to send something, you know, Amazon, or, or ordering something from Amazon. Um, 
Yeah, I ordered something from Amazon yesterday. It's going to be at my house today. Mm-hmm. Um, you do that there. They don't. They don't. Amazon does They not, don't deliver. They don't deliver. There is no delivery system. You, you can't get it. So we, we have access to yeah. just resources that the world does not have access and to. And we also have opportunities that's the thing coming back is just the opportunity to do something. Like if you really want a job, even though you might have to go down like several levels of what you're, you know, educated, you could get one this week here. They don't have that resource. I mean, that's not an opportunity there. So here, here in the States, we, we have uh, access to financial resources, yeah. to uh, job opportunities, education. This is the one we really take for granted, discipleship. Yeah. Like you, if you, you can go to Discover Growth. We talk about it all the time. They, they know nothing of that. They have no, no discipleship materials like that anywhere. Yeah, and like, they're hungry for it too. Yeah. Like that one picture you posted of the guys that are almost seven feet. Um, one of them was the pastor. He's 21. They don't have anything. They're just, they're just trying to do whatever they've seen and they're running churches and they don't, they don't have any kind of, paperwork, uh, leadership stuff, nothing. So here's what we have to be careful of is don't be embarrassed or ashamed because you have resources. I, that, I've been on several trips, and I'm finally learning that. Like, I should, oh, man, I shouldn't have this. Oh, man, I feel guilty. No, don't feel guilty. God has blessed you. Yeah. God has blessed you, but he has blessed you with a responsibility. Yeah. That's why you are here. That's why you were born where you were born. That's why you have what, that's the education you have, the resources that you have, the opportunities you have. They've been given to you by God, and we have a responsibility to steward those yeah. and give those to others. Yeah. On uh, Probably the most difficult moment that Laura and I had when we were there uh, was Saturday night when we went down on the red light district. Um. There's a bus station right next to the area where these girls are trafficked. And the pimps go into this bus station, and these girls come in from the villages. They're sent in by their parents to get jobs. And they get off the bus, and there's a pimp there mm-hmm. who offers them a job. And, and they hey, have no idea that he's a pimp. They, right. they think, oh, they've never been into the city. They don't know. There's no adult with them. So they just know they need food. And they offer protection yeah. um, and a job. and They make we'll, big promises. Basically, we'll give them about $30, and instantly they are enslaved. Yeah, they're trapped. And so we, we turned off one of the main streets, and we were in this, this uh, uh, white uh, van, 15-passenger van, with a few leaders. And the street we went down wasn't any wider than really the van and it wasn't paved. It was like this cobblestone, rocky street. And we were driving three miles an hour down this street. And there were these shanties, which are these uh, metal shacks. Mm-hmm. And like every 15 feet, there was, there was a door. There's a door. And if the door is open, uh, the woman, the girl, is in the door frame. And that means she is available to work. And if it's shut, that means she is working. Um, there were so many things um, excruciating about that, that they're trapped because they could never pay that back, that $30. So that $30, they're working for pennies, and they want to get out, but they have no hope to get out. 
So, of course, they end up getting pregnant, and um, their children, they put they stuff their babies underneath the beds when they're working, or the children will stand outside, and they will say, shh, mom's working, don't bother her right now, because that's the only way they're going to eat, is if she works. It's one, it's one thing to see the videos and see the pictures and, and hear about it, and um, I I, Laura wasn't going to go, and I didn't blame her for not wanting to go. Um, I didn't want to go, but I knew that I needed to go, and I had a responsibility because how God's blessed me in my life. And just, I don't know what was more devastating, seeing the door closed and knowing these girls are being abused or looking into the girls' faces. What was bizarre is when you looked into these girls' faces, you looked right through them because it was as if they had no soul. They weren't really even looking back at you. But the guy who we met that took us down there is um, doing his part to make a difference. His name is Pat Bradley, and this is his wife, Sue. And Pat, um, like us, was in Addis Ababa about 10 years ago. Yeah. And he was uh, talking with a, a leader there. Yeah, and for some reason, God kept telling him, ask this guy about prostitution. Ask this guy about prostitution. And he's thinking, he's wrestling with God. He's like, oh, what am I supposed to be doing? So he finally he said, hey, I wanted to ask you about prostitution. And he said, let me show you. And that's when he took uh, Pat where he took us. And so... Pat had jumped out of the van and was sharing the gospel with one of the girls, telling her that she's valuable to Jesus, that he loves her. Um, And in the middle of it, she actually gives her life to the Lord right there on that street that we were at. So then God tells him, baptize her. Now, remember, this is a guy who's not, he's not a pastor. Nope. He's, he's entre- a businessman. He's an entrepreneur and, and a businessman and just an incredibly brilliant man. And he's the first white man to ever walk into this red light district. And he's like, wait, what? What am I doing? <laughs> so God keeps telling him that. So he, somebody gets him water. Another guy gets him a little bowl. And he baptized her. So at that point, he's looking at her and he's thinking, uh, what do I do? So he says, if I can get you out of here, would you leave today? And she was like, absolutely. And he's like, okay, I'll take you. And uh, that means a lot more than just him saying that. He needs to pay off her bill um, and because they will come after her if they don't. So she goes and she goes to grab her stuff. Now, she was 16. She'd been there for five years working. And when she comes back, Pat looks at her, and she has a Walmart sack. And that's all she has to her name. And she's 16 years old. And that's where crisis aid began. That's the day that it started for him, is he said, I I can't do this anymore. I can't stand and watch. I can't know what I've seen and not do anything about it. So he takes her, brings her back to his wife at the hotel room and is like, here we go. And she's like, give me, give, she's like, you get, 
she can't hardly go down there because she's just grabbing girls as fast as she can and shoving them in the van. Like, I will not leave a girl. And she's just crazy like that. And uh, so they bring her back, and that's where God takes God's design and how God made Pat to be such a businessman that has resources, right? And he knows systems because you've got to be systematic. You've got a lot of needs, and you're going to have to put things into practice, and you're going to have to gather a lot of people that can help you resource this thing. And that's what God's used, really utilized Pat. But the interesting thing is, like Jody being from Oklahoma, Pat's from St. Louis. And it's like God is using a St. Louis businessman to to go over and rescue 1,400 girls. Get that. Ten years ago, one girl. Now over 1,400 girls have been rescued. And what I love about their ministry is now the girls that are healthy and well and have been through a long process, they get to stay a year in um, education and in trauma therapy and teaching and in a family, they now are going back in and they're saying, do you remember me? This is my name. And they say, we remember you. They said, this is what your life can be like. And the girls just go with them. What's also amazing is he bought a brothel that was right in the middle of the red light district and turned it into a church and into a, um, a medical center for, for these girls. And uh, I want you to see a short video of these girls and just see their faces and how beautiful they are and what God has done in their life. Check this out. So this is the call. The call is to go. This is what Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, say this with me. Come on, let's say Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we have to remember is our number one responsibility is to take the gospel into the world, to take this hope, this healing, this peace, this purpose that we talk about every single week into our world and into the world. But the question is, like, why why, why would we go halfway around the world? Isn't there enough needs right here in our own backyard? But we can never forget, this is what God did for us. Yeah. He left heaven's throne and came to this earth for us. And then when he, just before he ascended back to heaven, he took about the 120 or so that he had gathered, 120 people that were gathered in that room, about, about the same size as this room, and he said to them, 
He said, listen, I, I want you to, uh, he said, I'm going to have the Spirit come, and you're going to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to imagine if Jesus ascended to heaven, and those that were gathered in Jerusalem said, you know, let's just keep it here. You know what, we're good. Somebody else. So think about this. We are here today because somebody went halfway around the world to us. We, we forget the gospel didn't start here. We are, we are a nation that was where missionaries came and brought the gospel to this nation. That's why we are a nation, uh, uh, this nation and, and who we are today. So what is God asking us to do to return the favor? Go back across the world and take the gospel around the world. And, and uh, we're running real short on time, but uh, tell them how many pastors and leaders that we have trained so far. So last year when we got the call to go to Ethiopia, since then we have trained 300 pastors and leaders. Come on, we can celebrate that. Celebrate over 300 pastors and leaders have been trained in leadership and sharing the gospel. But here's the thing. I believe God is really calling us to do even greater things than we could have ever imagined or dreamed as a church. Yeah. So when we were there last year, uh, God really began stirring me about beginning a church there in Addis Ababa. We were working with the Church of the Nazarene, and we found out that it was just, um, it had fallen on very, very difficult times. There's two very, very small churches there now, and pastors there are very, very, very discouraged, and we thought, well, maybe we can help. Maybe, yeah. maybe we can get in. We can yeah. start a church. And so we went last year, yeah. super excited. You were trying to get a hold of so many different people, could not get a hold of anybody. Every leader that we needed to talk to was yeah. not just not in the city. They were out of the country. Yeah. I was so frustrated last yeah. year because I saw the devastation. I was like, God, we need to do something here. Now, you remember on uh, Vision Day when I talked about this year is the year of rest? Yeah. And so we went this year, and I really sensed God was saying, let it rest. Yeah. Let it rest. And when I talked on Vision Day, I talked about this idea of uh, work your weight. So if you were here on Vision Day, you remember that, but let me give you a quick refresher. The, the year of Sabbath is the year of rest. And so every seventh year, God told the Israelites, you got to let the land rest. Don't work the soil. Don't toil the soil. Don't do anything with the soil. But, but if, if the ground produces anything, you can go and harvest that. And we were talking about work your weight. Just look for where God is producing. Look for yeah. where God is producing and then go and get that harvest. And so that's what we did. And that whole week, that's exactly, I mean, that whole week we were living the message work your weight. Except for the fact that you would think we're halfway around the world sharing the gospel, that we would be all in on thinking about other people. Can I just be honest that how quickly it becomes about me? Me focused. Even when you're serving God, even when you think you're making sacrifices for God, suddenly the world isn't about billions, but it's about me and my yeah. needs and what, what I need. We, so we stayed at a, a hotel called the Dreamliner. It was no dream. Uh, <laughs> I won't say what it was like, but um, it, it was hard. And so I was gripey. And I, I mean, I wouldn't stop griping, matter of fact. I was griping about this. I was griping about this. And we'd call downstairs to get toilet paper for the fourth time and Kleenex or something. Uh, and so finally, we are, go downstairs. And I go to talk to people at the front desk. 
So Brad says, I'm going to step outside. Brad never says that. I mean, I'm the one that, like, I'm going to step outside, get a breather, get fresh air. I'm standing there. He goes outside and then tell him who you ended up bumping right into. Yeah, so what we didn't realize is that stop your whining and complaining. God has you right where he wants you. I think to recognize. On purpose. Yeah, on a re- stop there's and a, there's recognize a, what's we, going I wasn't on. even thinking about that. I'm thinking, yeah. like, let's just go somewhere else. Let's check in somewhere. This is, and God's like, no, you're going to miss what I'm divinely doing because you're whining. So I step outside, and walking up the steps is the only leader I had met last year. His name was Mogus. And I, I'm like, Mogus. Like they almost bumped into each other. He walks right up into my face. I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, Brad, Brad. You know, he's like, Brad. And he's got this huge smile. He's like smile. the friendliest guy you'd ever Super meet. Super nice guy. And he's, I said, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm here to meet a Weiss. And I'm like, a Weiss. Now, what you, that, mean, that name means nothing to you. A Weiss is the key, key leader. leader for the yeah. Church of the Nazarene. I'm like, where is he at? The guy that he needed to talk to that he tried so hard to talk to last year when we were there. We're standing in the lobby. Awis is sitting right over there Just in the lobby. Just feet away from where we are. The only reason Awis is there is because it's the only place he could get any kind of internet. Is that by chance? No. Yeah. God divinely orchestrates things. I sit down with Awis. We start talking about the church, what's happening within the church, and I don't know what happened. Within a matter of minutes, he goes, let's do it. Let's launch Core Church Ethiopia. I'm like, all right, let's do this. So in like 20 minutes, we're like launching a church. And I'm he like, comes wait, upstairs, he goes, I think we just started a church. I'm like, what? I, I need to let the leaders know we've started a church. There. <laughs> I'm like, this is, but he, listen, so this is what, just crazy, okay? And, and my head is spinning, and then, and, and then I, and then I, I remembered this, this leader, and I wanted to meet this leader because there's this young pastor, and I thought, this guy is the guy. I, I know he's the guy. Let's, let's talk to this guy. And you wanted to talk to him before we left, and we had like three hours before we were to leave, and we were trying to get a hold of him, but the hard thing was his wife was due any minute, and so we didn't know if, if she was due with a baby, so we were like, we didn't want to push it, but we're like, hey, if she hadn't had the baby yet, you know, we could, we could meet you. And so- We're about the work of Jesus. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, moms. We had two ladies. moms that were like missionary pastors that were having their babies. So this guy couldn't even, he couldn't come to any of the meetings, couldn't come to any of the conferences, anything that we were doing. I was so, fr- I was so frustrated. You were getting frustrated, yeah. and I said, Brad, oh. <laughs> if God wants us to get together, God will make a way. Okay, and I, so and just, I, just and keep I, trusting him. If it's supposed to be, it will be. And I said, yeah, but if God don't move, I'm going to move. We're going to get this done, okay? Um, and, and an hour before we were leave to go to the airport, uh, he had a window he could meet us, and we met him at a coffee shop right outside of his house. Uh, his name is Emmanuel, and this is a picture of the coffee shop yeah. right here. That's Emmanuel. And we met with him, and we started talking about this idea of what would it look like for us to start a church, to birth a church, and, and we dreamed together, and, and his heart, and, and we talked about the I Am Not Forgotten and, and the boys, and, and he loves working with young people. His wife was on the national soccer team, and this guy is just a sharp, sharp, young leader. And I'm like, this is bizarre. We, your wife is going to have a baby in a mi- any minute, and you're about to give birth to a baby of a church, too. At the same, you're going to have two babies here, man. This is going to be crazy. He's 27 years old. Yeah. But he has such an incredible heart. He's such an incredible 
leader. And so we began to dream. And I, I just want to ask you to be praying for him. Emmanuel and his wife's name is Kia. Just remember the name of the car. It's not spelled that way, but just remember the name of the car. Emmanuel and Kia. And their new baby, Louie. Aloe, aloe. He didn't know what that was when I said that to him. What was so interesting, though, about him is last year when we were on our trip, we had pulled up and we were told where I was going to preach at a church, and we were told it was big church, big church. Well, you never know what that means, but we thought at that point big church meant big church. So we get there, and uh, we actually can't get the car a car, Mogus's car, the guy we bumped some, into. Some of you may remember this picture we from can't last get year. His car up. So this is Mogus's car. Yeah. Last year, I put this to up on social media. To get to the big church, this car, this just so you know the kind of convenience we have. This car had did not have the power to make it up any kind of hill, so we had to push this car up the hill. Now, if you remember, on Vision Day, I said also nothing is wasted. Yeah. That this idea that every prayer you prayed, everything you've been doing, all the work you've been doing, nothing is wasted. Last year, the church that I went to speak at that only had about 15 people at it, and when we pushed this car up the hill, the guy in the tan suit jacket, it's Emmanuel. That's the guy I met at the coffee shop. Yeah. And Emmanuel was my translator that day. Yeah. And as he began to speak and he translated yeah. for me a year ago, I just said, this guy is a pastor. This guy needs to start Well, at church. one moment you were preaching, and all of a sudden he kept going. And you're like, you're preaching. You said something else. <laughs> Jody and I that day, we were like, what are we doing here? Like, what, what, what? Nothing is wasted. That was not wasted because God had a plan for him. And he's got a plan for you. I want to invite the worship team. Worship team, come on. Um, this is what we want to do as we talk, as we close, is, is God has a plan for you. He has something that he wants to do through you. Yeah, he's, he's calling each one of us. It's not just about one person. It's about all of us. It's about all of us knowing who we are in Christ and then taking that into the world. We make it way too difficult. Sometimes it's just about going across the office. It's about going across our schools. It's about going across our neighborhood. It's about going across Tulsa. But for some of you, it might be Ethiopia, but for some of you, it's about listening to that call and walking across whatever. What is your across? What is God calling you to do? Because he's the one that does the impact, but he calls you and he calls me to do it. So what's the world God's calling you into? For some of you, it might be around the world. We got a team going to Guatemala. Some of you, God's birthing you, you do something with Ethiopia. But so many of you are already getting out of seats, seats and you're already doing great work. There's, you don't have to make up a ministry by it. There's so many people doing ministry in our city, in our world right now. We got people in the prisons. We got people doing homeless ministry, people working with children who've been abused, foster care, adoption, uh, people working in the school systems, people working in counseling. We have people all over the city. If you want to get involved in something, we can help you to do that. But God's asking you not to just go into the entire world. He's just asking you to go into your world. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray right now 
you would help us to know the world you're calling us into. In Jesus' name, amen.